Welcome to the Full Stack Business Owner Podcast, where we are enhancing your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Today, we are with Goose McGrath, our property portfolio growth partners, and we're talking all things that full stack business owners talk about. Now, if you want to jump in on the conversation, head over to the Facebook group, join a full stack business owner community, ping Goose, ping Charlie, ping myself, ask any questions you've got, because this is an interesting and a polarizing episode. Now, before we get started, let's cue Charlie's infamous disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, I'm pretty excited for this one. So full disclosure, Goose and the Dashdot team are sponsors of Full Stack Business Owner. They are on board and been helping us in a big way. We just want to make sure you're aware that they are a sponsor as we do need to disclose that. Now, Goose is a truly interesting human. I want to tell a little story before we get into this one. Many times in my wealth building journey, and I mean many times, I've done a ton of research, I've done courses, I've read books, and I've gone to Goose and go, what about this? And then within 30 seconds, he completely shatters my mind. He gives me this little like different lens to look through or a stat or a unique thinking that I wasn't doing because I was going with the masses and it completely reshapes it. And I think I've probably wasted hours researching things that then tend to be not what actually happens. Now on a personal front, by leaning into Goose's unique thinking, it's also been very advantageous for me personally. And Goose has been, uh, I'll say, the architect behind a lot of the property stuff I've done and actually helped me build my wealth in a big way because of this unique thinking. So Goose, I'll get you to do a 30-second intro. And then what we're going to do today is we're going to jump in and look at some of the things that are going on today. Perfect. Awesome. So thanks uh, thanks for that uh, beautiful introduction, Charlie. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to contribute to your journey. Um, the A little bit of a, a quick intro on myself. So um, a few years ago, I was broke, burnt out, going nowhere, running a, running a business in a completely different industry. Um, thought, how am I going to change my life? Uh, me and my partner, Gabby, thought, I oh, know the, the solution, let's invest in property because, hey, it just always goes up, etc. We successfully bought the wrong property, the wrong place at the wrong time, lost a bunch of money and went, huh? hang on a second, that's not how that was supposed to work. And then since then have been on a quest to try and work out how the game works. And that quest for the truth, the answer is the thing that drives our business today. So yes, we're in the business of helping people to invest in property, but actually far more than that, we're in the business, in the business of actually trying to find what is the what is the truth. Um, as a result, we've been able to get you know significantly better results. Charlie, you talked about um, getting advantageous uh, outcomes. Just as a little footnote to that, we did an analysis of um, all of the suburbs that we'd bought in from, and uh, but before December 2021, and then looked at it, looked at the measurement period from March 2020, so start of COVID to July 2022, and in every area we outperformed the benchmark by at least 50% in terms of growth. Right, so 
the stuff that I talk about today is not theory and is not uh, it is it is not kind of made up stuff and it, it's actually not even to drive an agenda. It is to drive a point that people need to understand how to think a little bit differently in order to get outsized returns. Now, whenever a situation comes up, I don't have a predisposed uh, inclination of what the what the uh, opportunity should be. I mean, if we go back to the start of COVID, yeah, we would we'd been buying houses for people, but I actually stopped and I said, well, I mean. Now what? What if what we're doing is incorrect? And in all cases, I found the right answer is always to be found in actually looking at the data and the facts. And and obviously, this show is is for business owners who who want to build wealth outside of business and become a full stack business owner and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that that this characteristic is actually something that is that is that most entrepreneurs have, and that is challenging the consensus thinking and looking at where the opportunities really lie. And one of my favorite quotes is by Mark Twain. He said, um, when you find yourself standing on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. And I think that's probably a good setup uh, for today's episode. Isn't Correct. it? What a, what a great quote we have there. And I think many business owners um, will relate. Like I'll say for myself, and I suspect for you as well, Grant, is like, when I said I wanted to start an internet business, people looked at me like I was crazy. When I wanted to move to the Philippines, they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, isn't that interesting? So we, yeah. like many business owners, I think that if you wanted to go into like a lot of established markets, it would actually be quite hard. Like it would be very, very difficult in that way. So what I would love to do today is in recent times, we've had some back and forth on Slack. I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I've had more of those moments where it's like my head goes like this. I find myself like tilting. So I thought we'd pick a few areas where there is some I'll call consensus thinking. And then I would love your thoughts and commentary and we can riff on that, how things might be a little bit different. So the overwhelming one in the media, in the world going on right now is that if interest rates go up, property prices must go down, Goose. How do you feel about that? The, the, the most succinct, succinct version uh, to answer that is that that is factually incorrect. And what we can talk about is we can talk about some specific data analysis that we did, or we can also talk about um, some specific uh, empirical observations from historical uh, precedents that, that disprove that fact. Where would you like to start? <laughs> All of it. <laughs> All of it. Okay, great. Does, does everyone see why the, my uh, – like, he says something like that, Goose, and then they're like instantly I'm like – all right. <laughs> let me let me let, okay. Let me take let me take you guys on a journey because I think this is going to be really really uh, insightful for you. And if it's insightful for you, it's probably going to be inso- insightful for everybody else, right? So Let's the general thinking is that as interest rates go up, property prices go down. That is the belief, right? Correct. Now, uh, inversely, then as interest rates go uh, as interest rates go down, property prices should go up. So interest rates go up, prices go down. Interest rates go down, prices go up. So if we just go back to sort of like you know the late 80s, what we can find is a really great example there where interest rates rose from 14% to 17%, and at the same time, house prices rose by 35%. Okay, so interest rates not only were crazy high at 14% already, they rose by 3%, and, it, and house prices over the same period went up by 35%. Like, hang on a second, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, then, just to just to, as a counterpoint to that, as a counterpunch to that, in between 1990 and 1993, interest rates dropped from 17% to 9%. That's an 8% drop in interest rates in three years. So, off that basis, you would expect prices to go up, right? 
Property price, property prices did nothing. They were stagnant. They were basically flat. They didn't do anything. Okay, so that is a huge drop. That's 8% drop in interest rates in three years, and house prices didn't do a single thing. Um, over the period of um, 2001 to 2007, interest rates rose uh, for about six years straight and rose by about 3.5%, and prices over the same period of time, this is national, this is national aggregate average price, uh, rose by about 60% over the same period of time. So instantly you can, and I've got many, 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 many more examples like that. We could probably spend an hour just looking at all of those kind of examples. And so that then starts to beg the question. It's like, well, actually, is there even, in fact, a correlation between these two ideas? Now, I don't actually know where the thesis came from, or you can kind of like deduce that, oh, okay, well, I guess if the cost of borrowing is lower, then more people will buy houses, et cetera. But actually, the property market is driven by a, a very broad basket of things that are not interest rates, that are just yeah. not interest rates. I've thought about this a lot. It's like if I need a place to house my family – Mm. Like, is interest rates the thing that I'm not going to buy a house because, like, we'll just go without shelter? Like, that doesn't make exactly. any sense. Like, a lot of people, it's like, and it's, a, and it's an essential need. It may change where they buy or what they buy, but them needing shelter doesn't change. Exactly. Exactly right. So we took this a little step further because that's what I would call um, empirical observation. So yep. that is that is like looking at a bunch of stuff and going, oh, hang on a second, those things don't stack up, right? So we took it a little step further and we got our um, data science team to have a look at it. I, I posed the question. I said, guys, can we actually take a look at this? And can we actually identify is there or is there or what is the correlation coefficient between a change in interest rates and a change in median sales price growth, right? So to put that in, I'm trying to want to make sure we don't get too nerdy on this, right? But basically to put that in, in very simple terms, we looked at the data and we said, is there a direct relationship between these two things, right? So change in interest rates and a change in median sales price growth. Now, for a little bit of context on this, a strong correlation, a very strong correlation would be 90 to 100% correlation. A moderate correlation would be 50 to 70% uh, correlation. And a negligible, right, a very negligible co uh, correlation would be 0% to 30%, okay? So that's what you need to know, right? Um, specifically the 0% to 30% piece because we analyzed, we broke the country up into what's called um, GCC regions. So that's basically, if you imagine like, Greater Sydney, rest of New South Wales. Greater yep. Melbourne, rest of Victoria. So you sort of have capital cities and regional definitions in every state. And we also looked at it on a national level. So we ended up with all of these different areas so we could see what the impact was in different parts of the country and different because because you gotta remember the property market's made up of 15,264 towns and suburbs right so it's not exactly one market you can't buy an index fund of the Australian property market so we had to look at it and we had to look at it on an immediate basis so if there was a change in interest rates did was there an immediate impact we also looked at it on a six month 12-month, 18-month, and 24-month kind of time lag. So we could see, was there any delay between those things? So it was a pretty comprehensive study. And we also went back 20 or 30, uh, I think over 20 years worth of data to reference all of this. And we looked at all of the statistically significant suburbs across the entire country. So it's a very comprehensive uh, look at it. The stronger, so I would say, in fact, what's really interesting is that on average, the correlation was actually less than 20% on average across the regions which is wild, which basically means that it's not, it is not statistically correlated or well, very negligible correlation is actually a correct way of putting it. 
the only, the maximum correlation that we found, the zenith, the strongest correlation that we could get in any location was in Sydney and in Canberra, two locations specifically, or ACT and Greater Sydney specifically, at the eighteen month uh, at the eighteen month mark, and even that, the strongest correlation was thirty percent correlation. Now, going back to what I said a second ago, thirty percent is negligible, right? So you can you can. You can specifically say there is a correlation because there is. You can see that the data moves. However, it is it is thirty percent or less, and in fact, in many parts of the country, it's less than twenty percent or even less than ten percent correlation across any of the time series. So, to put that in very simple language, because I know we've kind of deviated off into some kind of like heavy heavy topic there for a bit of a podcast, right? To put that into put that into context and to put it simply, um, at at best. There is a 30% chance that there is a relationship between interest rates and median sales price growth in Sydney at 18 months. In most other cases, there is less than a 20% chance that a change in interest rates would have any impact on median sales price growth across the country. Now, I don't know about you, but they're not odds that I would be using to make a good investment decision. Would you? So, but the, yeah, so, but you look at that, right? And then I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to play the, I don't know card on this because yeah. I, I listen to the news and I watch the data that they're presenting, which I don't believe that they are lying about data. And there is a whole narrative with data to support it that, hey, there are house prices dropping in and they say nationally and they say Melbourne and they say Sydney and all those kind of things. And the causation and correlation that I see is, well, in- interest rates have gone up significantly. And so my question is like, what's happening today from everything that you've just talked about? What's, I love that. What's what's happening today? I, I love I love that. I love that for a couple of reasons, right? Because part of it, part of, part of where um, the common narrative goes wrong is they take an aggregate view of the Australian property market. The problem with that is that that is not an accurate weighting of the different markets. So if you think about if you think about um, the Australian property market, kind of like the ASX two hundred or the ASX fifteen thousand two hundred and sixty four, to be more kind of a little bit more specific, right? So um, greater Greater Sydney is like BHP. Right, so Greater Sydney, the market cap of Greater Sydney and Greater Melbourne and Greater Canberra, right? That like the the dollar value of all of the combined assets in those areas is so big that if they change, they have an they have an asymmetrical impact on the rest of the aggregate value of the property market. So I've been using this example quite a lot recently, and it actually just happened the other day um, in, in in real life, which is really funny because BHP is the largest um, the largest company on the ASX by a significant a significant shot. If it goes down by ten percent, and if you imagine all other companies were you know didn't actually change, but then you look on aggregate at the ASX two hundred, the ASX two hundred would drop, right? So this is actually what is happening. So if you look at if you look at the national median house price on aggregate. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the national median house price is dropping on aggregate, right? But that doesn't mean that that is happening everywhere in the same way, right? And then this is actually the, the interesting point. Now, a lot of people right now, so consumer sentiment right now is at, is at pretty similar levels to um, when COVID hit and pretty similar yep. levels to to when GFC hit. So yep. why don't we take a little look at the GFC? Because this is really interesting, right? Because in the GFC, everyone thought the world was going to end, right? And also... 
um, property prices tanked, right? So the national aggregate median average dropped by eight and a half to nine percent. We call nine percent for the point of the discussion. I right? was just so ha- too young to take advantage of it. I <laughs> yeah, didn't I know, realize right. what was going <laughs> was on like, in the world at this point. I was more interested in my uh, tan and where I was going to go on the weekend Stereo than the property like. market at this point in my life. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I, we've actually got one person on our team who actually started investing during the GFC, but that's a whole other. Uh, that's a whole other story. She's she. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other story. So, but let's take a look at the GFC because on aggregate, the property market tanked, right? During the GFC, it tanked by about 9%, which is massive for like a, you know, a multi-trillion dollar asset class. That is huge, right? The, yep. the, value, of, the value of residential real estate in Australia is like, uh, like 2.6 times the, to- the total value of all businesses in Australia. It's massive, right? So, for that to tank by 9% is phenomenal. Here's the rub, right? During that period of time, 63% of suburbs actually grew in value. 63% of suburbs grew in value. So we did a study and we looked at the period of time from January 2008 to July 2009. So we tried to capture the whole the whole kind of moment that all of that stuff was going on, right? Um, property prices dropped at the same time that interest rates dropped, by the way. Interest rates dropped by, I can't remember, three, four, five. It was a lot, right? So interest rates dropped because everyone was freaking out. That stimulated the economy. House prices dropped, and that was all consumer sentiment based. So we then looked at it and we said, okay, well, what actually happened on a more granular level? So we found that, um, as I said, 63% of suburbs still went up in value. Of the suburbs that went up in value, the average growth over that period, which is like 18 months, was 9.04% average growth across the suburbs that went up. And also, the average price of that kind of, it was kind of like was, was um, $382,763. So that was in the lower quartile. So that was like more affordable properties. Yep. The, uh, on the other end, the negative growth suburbs on average went down by 7%. On, a, on aggregate, and the the average price of those was actually uh, well over five hundred thousand dollars. So that were the more expensive. They were the more expensive suburbs. So what we can deduce from that is really interesting. So not only not only can the market go down, but in fact the majority of the market still go up. But in fact, more affordable properties tend to perform better when consumer sentiment is lower. Now I'm sure you got questions about this, but just totally. let me hang. <laughs> Let, let me hang no, on this. I love it when we get Goose just, on a good roll here. Like I'm just, almost like we're just going to be quiet here and let him go. There's so much wisdom in this. There really is. And like I'll bring this back to business owners quickly here though. <clears throat> I find it very interesting that depending on which room you go into, they'll tell you right now that the business environment is terrible or amazing. Totally. It r- depends on the room. Yeah. <clears throat> so right now I feel like I'm living in the upside down. When I talk to certain business owners, they're like, oh, wouldn't want to hire someone right now. Well, wouldn't want wouldn't want to take any you know risk or open a new factory, open a new location because like we we these rates, everything going on. Conversely, is like we've hired four people in the last month. I've I will actually say this: I've never had more people reaching out to me to work with us <laughs> or wanting things from us. And I look at it and I go, it just doesn't agree with the consensus. Like you can create your own recession, you can create your own downturn if you're just tuning into the consensus because these, uh, and I think it aligns really well here. If you follow the aggregate, the index, business environment's terrible. I could literally come up with 10 reasons right now why we should do nothing in business. We should just bunker down. But if you dig a little bit deeper, like our media company is booming. 
like we're seeing opportunities every day. I'm almost more challenged by can I get the funding, people, utilities and training in place to grow because now is the time then, oh, this environment is not right. Bingo, bingo, right? Because there's two, there's two philosophies. When, when, um, when the media narrative, which um, is another way of saying the, the general sentiment of the population turns sour, there's only, two, there's only really two ways you could approach business. And, you know, real estate investing is business as well, so it's all basketed to the same way. You can conserve and contract, cut costs, um, trim fat, reduce, you know, sacks of people, you know, like oh, try and conserve as much cash as possible, wait it oh, out. Gonna, I've tried to sack Grant several times. claims on me. I haven't had like, payroll for like six months. Like, I'm just like, I just can't take hints. He, he called unfair work dismissal on me. I couldn't believe it. I get this phone call. They ask it. It's funny. But you, you can conserve and contract, or you can grow, right? And so, to to your to your point, Charlie, about the business environment, look, the stuff that I'm talking about, I'm. This is not like me trying to like just drop. We're I think we're hiring 15 people at the moment. Like it is yeah. like it is all guns blazing because the reality is different from the story, and this is the point, right? So to illustrate that, and so 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 just to anchor back so during the GFC, when on aggregate the market went down by nine percent, sixty three percent of suburbs actually grew. What? Like I was my mind was blown when we discovered that. We looked at we looked at um, the last six months, right? Because the current narrative is that the property market is crashing. The property market is crashing. It's all going down. It's all bad news. And so, literally, we just approached it with a very open question: How many suburbs in Australia have had positive growth over the last uh, one month, three month, and six month period? Right? Very simple question, not loaded. It was just like, well, let's just look and see what the data says. So, what I can tell you is. That um, over the last month, 58.79% of suburbs have had positive growth. Over the last three months, 76.7% of suburbs have had positive growth. And over the last six months, 88.86% of suburbs have had positive growth. Now, what is also interesting as a footnote to that is that 53.16% 53.16% of the suburbs nationwide grew consecutively through every single one of those periods, right? Because what you may find is you might find a suburb went up and went down and went up and, you know, they, look, they, they do fluctuate. They vary, right? But on aggregate, over the last six months, 88% of suburbs have gone up in value and over 50% of suburbs have grown consistently across every one of those time periods. What, like, that, that in and of itself tells you that something about the consensus story is factually incorrect. Now, I have a I have a th- theory around why this is the case, right? Because that's my question. Can I, can I guess? That was, that was I've my got question. A, yeah. Okay. The politicians are buying. Right, that's <laughs> what I can come up with. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, good. if you want my sort of like slightly conspiracy theory version of it, it's yes, beca- I do definitely. Okay, definitely. The slightly conspiracy theory version of it, and I say this with a, with a chuckle, right? Dude. Is that maybe maybe the government is telling the media to tell everyone it's a bad news story, so they all freak out and stop spending money to try and lower inflation, right? They, you, you, ooh, that's, oh, that's not a conspiracy. I feel that's, like that is that's way that's too fact. legit. <laughs> I, well, I mean, it could be. I mean, <laughs> I'm just mindful right. of not coming across no, no, Tin no, Hattie, right? It, I like to, yeah, yeah. yeah All I right, just, so they're putting this media cycle out so that they can, because we know Melbourne is affected, so they yeah. can drive down the price of property specifically between uh, where the new train line is going to be between the airport and Melbourne. 
They're scaring everyone. They're loading up on the land in and then they're going to put the infrastructure in and they're all going to make bank and so on. That's a conspiracy theory. Like the Melbourne, <laughs> the conspiracy of why Melbourne Airport doesn't have a train line what? and the land potential around this. Now that I can believe. Your what? one was too straightforward, Chris. Okay, well, and then the okay, same well, for the Greater Western <laughs> Airport for Sydney or something like that. <laughs> I'll let I'll let the listeners decide on that. I'll stick to the I'll stick to the facts. I'll stick to the facts because. Um, but I do have I do have a theory around this, and and it's a really about approach because because Grant, you mentioned something uh, just earlier. It's like well, there is data that says this, and you can you know you can you can like correlation is not causation, right? So that's one thing, right? That we've got to really be really clear on. Um, we actually also can't find causation between interest rates uh, and property prices, not just correlation. And so if you if you look at a graph over the last thirty years, and you look at a graph that has interest rates on uh, on interest rates and property prices, median property price, you'll find that across the last 30 years, interest rates go down. And across the last 30 years, property prices go up. So you can go, oh, look, one goes down and the other one goes up. Like one of them has a compounding factor into it, right, which is property prices. And the other one is is an arbitrarily set value by the RBA in response to other macroeconomic factors. So they're not actually specifically related. Now, when you get a news bite which says, look, the market is going down and also, look, interest rates are going up, it's very easy to say those two things are Related, when in actual actuality they just might not be right. They they just they just may not be, and the people who are um, bringing those narratives forward, some some of them I respect, right? But they're actually talking in an area where they don't have any expertise, and they're viewing it as something like a financial market. Whereas um, the real estate the real estate market is not a financial market. You can't you can buy an index of the ASX two hundred. You cannot buy an index of Australian property, right? So. To, to take that assessment of how you should me- measure the success or not or not of a market is kind of is kind of incorrect and so there's kind of this like economist financial market view which doesn't directly relate you know the, the real estate market is one of the least it's the highest value least understood asset class in the entire world right so um, you can't necessarily su- superimpose the same methodologies to get to the same outcomes so I think actually I don't think it's necessarily maliciousness. I actually think it's potentially a bit of um, ignorance in the in the approach, which is fine because you don't know what you don't know, right? So completely, I'm, I'm going to put this out there because I'm thoroughly curious. Sorry, Charlie. This this episode, I'm going to jump in. Go for it. It's your time. <laughs> uh, so, Goose, I, mm. I love that concept. From your analysis as to whether it was in GFC 2008 mm. or right now. Uh, it is a point that property prices have dropped and I, I get your BHP example. My question is, looking at it now, why mm. do you think that the property prices have dropped if it is not caused by interest rates? Like what, what is that? It's a, it's a really good question. So I think, right, I think that um, – Part of it is a natural part of the market cycle for Sydney. Now, if you go back and listen to uh, anything I've said on a podcast for probably the last two or so years, even when Sydney was going up, I was saying, guys, the right time to buy in Sydney is probably going to be in about five years' time, right? That's simple. It's not now. And so I think it's actually a natural part of the cycle for Sydney. I think that um, Sydney had a bit of a rational exuberance and it was not, there was no, there was no functional reason that that should have been the case. Um, and in fact, you could tell by the sales volume data, a like twelve months prior to any kind of um, price movement, you could tell by the sales volume sales volume data in, in broader Sydney that the market was going to go down. So the trend of uh, the 
the influencing factors of of the Sydney market going down started at least twelve months prior to any kind of change in interest rates. So the the thing about the thing about property markets is that they are very complex, and there are multiple multiple drivers that cause markets to move in different ways. And in fact. The different different drivers apply to different locations in different ways, and that's what makes it so truly fascinating. Because the things that make Sydney expand or contract don't necessarily make Wagga Wagga expand or contract. Right? They're they're quite different markets. So um, part of it is focus, right? So part of part of it is focus, right? So as I mentioned earlier, it's like, well, yeah, cool. So. I think we could all agree that on aggregate, Greater Sydney prices are going down, but also you probably find that some places um, prices going up in Sydney as well, right? There are some people who are still smashing and getting above above their listing price, you know. So it's not it's not all, you know, it's a very granular affair. But on aggregate, you could probably you can argue that that Sydney has gone down. Why? There was a lot of irrational exuberance. So maybe it's a reversion to the mean to a certain degree, a settling of the market. Why? Because it's part of the cycle. It's had a very good run for a pretty significant period of time. Why? Because in actuality, the um, purchasing power of individuals is corroded when interest rates goes up. So when this is why uh, more expensive markets. So there's a, there's a, there's two tranches in more expensive markets. There's the ultra expensive markets where people don't get mortgages anyway. So typically 10 million plus where they're just buying in cash anyway, $30 million house is bought in cash, right? So things like, uh, things like cost of capital don't really matter that much. But in the kind of 1 million to 10 million kind of range, thereabouts, it matters a hell of a lot. And so access for people to be able to get into properties changes when interest rates goes up because their ability to actually get a loan changes because the um, the buffer rate goes up. So they might not actually be able to get the finance. That reduces the buyer pool. Um, you've got people who um, – so you start to then look at this like actually can actually people buy in that market and is it desirable with that volume of debt? So in, in times when consumer sentiment is good – now, note that I'm referencing consumer sentiment, not economy because the underlying economy is actually pretty bloody good, right? But when consumer sentiment is good, people – People uh, perform aspirationally. So they'll try and upgrade their house. They'll buy a boat. They'll get a nice car. They'll do the thing. They'll do all the stuff. And then when consumer sentiment is low, they'll tend to um, defer to more uh, cost advantageous or or value-based decisions, right? So what we tend to see is we tend to see when consumer sentiment is lower, there is a trend towards more affordable. Now, I'm not saying cheap houses. I'm not saying everyone's going and living in $300,000 houses, but you have a trend towards affordability. And so then again, because markets are a complex affair, you can see that in a in a on a on a on a let's say greater capital Sydney, a greater Sydney, you can actually see that the areas that are more affordable will still be performing better than the areas that are least that are less affordable because there'll be a trend towards that direction whilst people want to stay in the vicinity of their ability to service the utility of work, keep their kids in the right school, etc. So I think there are elements of it from a natural affordability perspective. We've got to remember we've got inflation as well. And I think there are multiple factors in there. Um, but I don't. it's not a specific factor that it's as simple as like a lever that you pull where interest rates go up and prices go down because because it's not happening everywhere. But but there are some impacts in different markets. And and we can actually see that through the correlation analysis. So just to be just to be just to kind of remind you, the strongest correlations that we saw were in the more expensive markets. Sydney and or so Greater Sydney, ACT and Melbourne were the were the significantly the highest correlations. Why? Because because they're more expensive, right? And so of cost of cost of capital matters a lot more when you're leveraging yourself up and taking on more debt. Because incomes incomes haven't changed as much as property prices over the t- over time, so property prices have outpaced rent, uh, income growth, 
So then in that sense, the more expensive markets have significantly in an asymmetrical way outstripped uh, outstripped in- income growth, but more affordable areas haven't necessarily done the same. And so you can kind of get this, this balancing effect, which is honestly why um, regional areas are performing so well because you've got the disaggregation of, uh, of workplaces where people can actually work from wherever they want um, so they can choose to have the lifestyle they want and all of this kind of thing. So societally, there's a big shift as well, which is obviously changing the game too. So that's- Tell you what, I would love to get a hold of like the supermarket data and see how many people have shifted to like buying like bulk items or more affordable solutions with the sentiment chart. I think it'd be a really fascinating thing but Goose, it seems you've shot down in flames our first point of why the general consensus of interest rates go up, prices go down. I think we can basically uh, – what was that? Uh, show? Was it Mythbusters? Yeah, Mythbusters. I feel like we just had a Mythbuster. I, I like it from there. And I will also put in the point, um, Goose has a complete data science team and mm. pays to get access to a huge amount of data. This isn't him winging it off what he gets on a monthly report or his views – like he's got source of truth data here. I just want to make it really clear on that. Yeah, I'll just add to that. So we've got six PhD data scientists. We've got the we we're spending this year alone. We're going to spend um, two point well, probably close to two point five million just on just on improving our analysis, which is a huge amount of investment in R and D, right? And we've we've got seventeen people in our in that whole side of the bit. It's it's a big team. I am not doing this analysis. I am not sitting there going, huh. There's like there's like PhD data scientists and stuff that are coming up with this and giving me the outcomes. I'm just I'm just expressing <laughs> the facts. <laughs> right. I tell you what, though, it does make you look great. I was going to say you look smart. I was going to yeah. All right, everyone. The episode with Goose actually ran extremely long, <laughs> like extremely long, and it was so powerful. Uh, it was actually probably one of the longest episodes, Charlie. I think we've ever recorded. So be sure to be tuned in for part number two. Because these myths keep getting debunked. So for everybody, if you want to continue the conversation, head over to the Facebook group, which is called Full Stack Business Owner Community. Uh, continue the conversation. Anticipate what do you think the next myths are and uh, be sure to tune in on part number two. So I just want to say thank you very much for joining us and we look forward to catching you on part number two.